Hey, Pepin. Yo, yo. I've been thinking a lot about um, fan like art and other fancy things. Really, like like, like fan art or like uh... like all kinds of art, like like all, from from fan art all the way up to like Picasso and other fine artists that I definitely know the names of. Really, like like what do you think? I just, I don't. I think we need to talk. Welcome back. So glad you could join us yet again. I'm sitting here in a brand new location. It is still Pepin's room, but it is in a new building. Uh, we have a high-tech studio here, meaning everything's exactly the same except the physical location we're in. But it is a lot roomier. Um, and, of course, we do have the homeowner himself, Nathan. How are you doing, Pepin? Doing pretty, doing pretty well, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a different place. It's a little... A little, little diff- difficult to get used to, but I'm here. Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad you could be here with us today in your own room. We do have a special guest on today. Brand new special guest. First episode, unless we play these out of order. Chelsea. How are you doing, Chelsea? I'm doing great, Steven. How are you doing? Not too bad. I'm definitely glad we could all get together. Um, you know, the, the topic we've chosen here today is about art. And uh, I know that your life has uh, a, a lot to do with the art world. Is that accurate to, to say, Chelsea? That is extremely accurate. Um, I've been doing art, I think, since I was about six years old. Okay. That's, uh, that's significantly longer than me since I don't have any artistic bones in my body. Um, what about you, Nate? What's your qualifications? So I've been in and out of art for a while. I guess you could say I'm still doing art with my guitar and music and stuff. Uh, I've done drawing, I've done animation, I've done lots and lots of different stuff. Uh, with drawing, I never got like super, super great with it, but yeah, pretty decent, I think. Well, I think that's a valid statement. I think that art comes in all different forms. Um, art, more or less, is a way to express yourself rather than like just painting or just drawing. It's anything that you choose to do. I mean, this is art, too. This is vocal. It's really, It's really interesting. So when when you say that art is a way to express yourself, does that imperatively mean that there has to be a direction with the art? You have to be having a statement of some sort? Um, I don't think that's always um, related. I I think sometimes you kind of find yourself through the expression, whether it's dancing or drawing or painting or doing a podcast or uh, making music, you don't start out always in, even if you do start out, let's say, with like a specific purpose, more often than not, that's going to change by the end. Now, to be really annoying, mm-hmm. what do you mean by expression? Um, The act of doing. So expression would be, let's say, dancing, that's an expression. Um, painting is an expression. So it's an action more than anything. Right, but what, what would differentiate this between, like, uh, let's say someone who's at their job and doing like mechanical work mm-hmm. how would that differ from art or would you say that's artistic as well i think that can be i think expression oh that's interesting um as it, it's a way of kind of getting what's inside out so it's, it's part of the person's being you know, put into the piece yeah taking like the, the reality of who you are 
as a person, as a human being, as your soul or whatnot, and pushing that out to accurately depict what that means to you. I would definitely be on be on a similar boat there, saying that in order for something to um, lean more towards being artistic versus being, you know, just work or something like that, although they can, they have many places they can cross. It needs to have a an emotional aspect to it as well as a personal aspect is like a sort of a reflection of your not necessarily yourself, but your views and your perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that fully. So to go with like an example in my head. So imagine someone who's making knives and swords. Right. So and they're at some factory. Right. And they're doing it according to according to some kind of blueprint, right? So they're doing the same sword over and over and over again. Is, is that really artistic? Are they really imprinting themselves onto that? Does it fulfill them? Well, so, so this gets into another question, mm-hmm. right? And I think we could probably go there in a minute, in a minute. You know, what makes art society or is it the person themselves? You know, how is it perceived? I feel like part of what you're getting at is, does there need to be a creative aspect to it? Something that's being generated that doesn't already exist. Right, right. Because someone who is just making something, you know, over and over again, repetitive, and it's not really something they want to make, or maybe it's not really into it, is one thing. But let's imagine the swordsmith who's doing his own kind of smithing and creating his own works. Well, that's definitely artistic. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could say the creator of the initial sword was artistic, but the people who are making it maybe aren't. So let's just propose a little, like, hypothesis here, a little, like, a uh, little thinking challenge. So imagine that someone is really gifted with, you know, kind of moving their hand in certain ways, and they can actually paint beautiful, beautiful paintings, but they're essentially just a robot. Mm -hmm. And you can give them a picture, and they'll paint a beautiful painting, but they're not really doing anything creative. There's, you know, just a robot, essentially. Are they being artistic in that that kind of scenario? I'm not sure. I feel like it's artistic expression is more of an organic thing. Um, and I might be shooting myself in the foot saying that too, because so the difference between that, I would say that's more commercial art. That's more of a formula. And something I've always struggled with um, in my art is part of my family really wants me to be a commercial artist. They want me to create um, the stuff you find at gift shops so that I can make money. And I've never been into that. I've never wanted to do it. And I've never had the words to express why I don't want that. Um, But in the end, I'm more, I want to create the things that I feel and the things that I feel like need to be said visually and not just recreating the same old and same old again. My hypothesis of Chelsea is that she wants to create things that inspire people to do, not to buy. You don't want to inspire somebody to buy that thing that your art is a part of. You want to inspire people to take action towards something that uh, that art might be portraying or to very least provoke thoughts that might change their views or at very, very least make them question their own perspective. That's completely true. I want to be able to get to a spot where I can create art that creates a conversation where people can look at it and more so than just be like, wow, that's a great painting. I wonder how much it costs. I want them to look at it and be like, oh, this inspires me to talk about this with you, with like my neighbors, with my brothers, with my sisters, with a stranger I find on the street, and then take that conversation and put it into action. Now, and... what if that conversation is, I wonder how much that costs? <laughs> <laughs> so you're inspiring that homeless guy on the street to wonder. 
One, you know, at least I'm causing someone to think something. So you want to force thoughts into people's mind. You want to artistically rape them. I would not go that far. Or you wouldn't put it in those terms. <laughs> that is exactly but true. Of, but of course I would. <laughs> so is commercial art kind of more aesthetic or just kind of visually pleasing? Like, like I'm not quite sure what the difference is there. Um. Okay, so imagine yourself at a land's end. This for anyone who doesn't know, that is um, on the coast of Maine. It's where the end of the land is technically. There's a big, basically. So a, sh- a shore? Yes, yeah, a shore, but it's marketed to you like it's the land's end. And are, you, it's, are you sure about this? That's such an artistic way to phrase it. What? Land's end. Oh, like, yeah, like it's, it's beautiful. A, it's, like it's the shore. The funniest part is there's an island right there, too. Um, and there's its beginning. But right next to it, you know, everyone's like, go to Land's End, go to Land's End on Bailey's Island. And you get there, and it's just a gift shop filled with um, T-shirts and old slogans and used art and things that you've seen a thousand times before. But you're still going to buy for your aunt who lives in Wisconsin so that she has a taste of Maine, you know. It's stuff that doesn't mean anything, and it's useless, but it's pretty, and someone did it, and they had some kind of purpose behind it, but it feels empty to me because I look at it, and I only see that, you know, they did this to produce it to get money to whatever, whatever, and go on, and it makes me sick in general, but I just have high, like, really strong opinions, I guess, about that. Well, I wouldn't. I would. I would push back against that because I wouldn't say it's useless. Because people buy that kind of stuff because they want it to show other people, "Hey, I've been here" or "I've been there." So I'm thinking about going to Spain, for instance. And when I go to Spain, I'm definitely gonna buy some cheap, you know, shitty kind of tourist art. And I'm gonna bring it back. I'm gonna show it off because, hey, I went to Spain. This is what I want to show to people. I want to show people that I went to Spain. I liked it, and I brought some of the culture back. Is this that you can land babes? Yeah. Because if yeah. you already have them in your room to show them the shitty culture art, I think you've already done your job. Why do you need this little trinket? Well, honestly, I'm going to like buy a giant Spanish flag, and then I'm going to make it into a cape and just wear it around. Oh my god, you should do that. Yeah, and, and then I'm going to have like a little Spanish accent going on. You're going to really appropriate the culture, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so your point is that there is an intrinsic value to even these little things that might not have as much artistic value um there is still a value to them um but i think chelsea's point was more along artistic value versus you know an intrinsic value at all but even a point to you is um so i did the same thing i was in bali and i was there for like a month and a half um split up between two times and I could walk around and it was this really great harmony of uh, pop art and like old world things. So you would walk into this old monk, like not walk, you'd walk to this old um, monastery, but it was built in rock in the ocean and you can only access it during low tide. And then you get out there and you meditate until low tide comes again. And so you're at this beautiful place, and then there there are people who are selling, like, paintings of Michael Jackson on the sidelines. And a part of me, yeah, and so a part of me is like, oh, this is so weird. Like, yeah, it's local art, but I'm like, oh, gross, it's so westernized. But then you travel into the back, back roads, and you travel along these dirt roads, and you see someone who has a garage full of paintings they've worked on their entire life that are original and beautiful, and you could purchase that, like, wouldn't you rather purchase something 
like that instead of going the easy route and going to like some gift shop, you know, going to the streets and buy art from someone else and like support that one person who has that one dream, who has that real talent. So did you not like this Michael Jackson painting because you're a hater for Michael Jackson or because you didn't feel that that really came from their heart? Instead, they were just trying to sell you something. I felt exactly. I felt that they were trying to sell me something that I was supposed to like instead of in they're almost even I felt like it was they're also being sold out because they have all these westerners coming in and to their society and and that's what they buy because you know we're taught to buy that kind of stuff and but um I felt like it was more authentic for someone who's you know in their garage painting like that's the person I'd rather want I'd rather support with my money not that I don't want to support these people but I didn't feel like it was it was I didn't feel like it was a good use of their of the time or the art. I felt like it was kind of just put there. You sound like a snooty hipster. I do sound like a snooty hipster. All the hate I can spew is just <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> and, and it's hard. I know. And I do sound like an angry person. I'm definitely not angry. I am. You sound furious not... right now. I've never had a guest this mad at me. <laughs> But so, this is something I don't know. I mean, what if this person who made this Michael Jackson painting was a super serious Michael Jackson fan? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at it and you say, this has no artistic attention. This person is just doing it to make money. This person just wants to profit. What you know, you don't know his attention. You could say it's because perhaps, you know, there's a lot of other art like that, but perhaps he's just a really big fan. He could be. He could be. But the fact that it's the same painting sold of thousand different times from a thousand different vendors tells me otherwise it's and it's similar? not just michael jack like that's not even my problem i'm not even angry about it but when i was in new orleans i saw a similar thing where people were painting like pop culture people um and you would see the same thing repeated in a lot of different places and although they all had artistic talent to them um in the technique it was the heart behind it that was kind of lost in that you didn't it seemed more like they were trying to cash in it was it was about the context more that you had to you drew those assumptions and whether they were true or not is irrelevant at that point so it's it's not so much that one person you know doing michael jackson paintings it's just rather that everyone's doing it exactly just like point dancing <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on point dancing <laughs> no that's exactly it's not that i'm not mad at this one person for painting michael jackson i'm <laughs> frustrated that <laughs> i'm frustrated the concept in general hmm. now this gets to a kind of weird question here so let's imagine that guy who's painting stuff in his uh you know his garage and you look at it and you say that's beautiful and yeah, but you have a good artistic sense right mm-hmm. whereas okay. you could probably guess most people don't mm-hmm. right so you might be able to see that guy in his painting and say that that's pretty good that looks amazing but i might look at it and say that that's a painting no that's completely that that makes a lot of sense so yeah coming from your point of view um when you go to spain what's your like you want to buy like if you were to see someone on the side of the road painting would you want to buy his art or would you want to buy a flag from the gift shop i think that if you were to buy something completely original when in spain that would be so much more impressive than if you buy something cheap from the gift shop well, the only reason why I'd buy something original is that when someone asks, oh, that, that's an interesting painting right there on the wall. I'm like, yeah, I got it from this local vendor in Spain. Yeah, it's you know, a talking you, point. You know, blah, blah, blah. You only use it to expand upon it, right? You don't, 
you know maybe maybe it depends and that's also on us like what's our what's our idea behind buying it you know my idea but mine personally would be like oh i love this person's work i want to support his idea well isn't isn't something like that getting right back to the point that chelsea was making in the first place in that the only point of it is to expand upon it being it starts a conversation if you buy a shot glass that says spain on it there's not much of a conversation to be had there it's just hey look at this shot glass or it's just sitting up on your shelf or something but if you have some art that no somebody's never seen before they may be like wow that little thing right there is pretty cool where'd you get that and then all of a sudden you have a dialogue and then you can talk about your experience that they may not have ever had but everybody's bought a shitty shot glass before so something you were talking about earlier, Chelsea, is how the school you're going to, you're going to a fancy art school soon. It has vaginas and penises everywhere. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what is with that? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I have heard tell about, um, I, so it's called Maine, Maine College of Art, or Mecca for short. And it's in Portland, Maine. And um, it's a very progressive city in general. Um, and something I was telling you earlier was... Um, Around the city of Portland, they have um, this graffiti artist or I guess treat artist, and he or she goes around and paints uh, pictures of vaginas everywhere with the word clit. Right now, just so you all know, she's making a hand vagina. I just thought that was really relevant. <laughs> Can you fuck a hand vagina? Yes. So, um, how... <laughs> I- I'm done. Okay, go, go ahead. That was the end of my point. <laughs> so, so what do you think is, like, the meaning behind this? Is this to get a reaction out of people? I mean, it's probably some kind of political statement. Oh, of course. It's, um, I mean, I haven't asked the artist. I don't know the artist, so I can only speculate. Um, but from what I've seen it be used for, it's an empowerment thing. Um, people, as much as they want to reduce women to our body parts, we don't, no one really wants to see your vagina. Like, you know, they want to see titties and they want to see your ass everywhere in their marketing campaigns, but no one's like specifically photographing your vagina unless it's for like Reddit girls gone wild or something. And you know of that? <laughs> yes, I do. Any, any answer saying? <laughs> um, and so it's a part of an empowerment, like, you know, putting in the face, like, hey, like, you want to you put your phallic, you know, penises everywhere. Um, and that's kind of like a, a new, not even new, just it's everywhere all the time. Is that a comment on Nathan's decorating? Because I do see a lot of dicks all over this wall. I think you but need less penises. They might have been there before you got here. I don't know, though. Yeah, yeah. Or were they ones that you procured just for this specific room? I really haven't kept track of which ones I've made, which ones were there before. Which ones were given to you. Yeah, yeah, you know, you take what you can get. A gifted dick is a good dick. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you think that this empowerment that they are getting is, like, because vaginas are kind of, I guess, everywhere, right? Let's say everyone starts doing the vaginas. You know, let's, let's imagine, like, people just kept keep doing it and keep doing it, keep doing it. Does it kind of lose its meaning, like, with the Michael Jackson painting? And the commercial art? Yeah. Well, um, it's not even commercial. Just, like, it starts getting used everywhere. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't know. I guess I won't know until that happens. Um, has it lost its meaning when people draw dicks everywhere? No, it's still hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think it's the same sense of like I don't think people drawing vaginas with the word clit on it's gonna get old. Do they just not draw clit? They just write the word clit, and they're I like, think that's what it looks like. <laughs> no, they definitely draw it, and I think someone has like the the tag clit 
Oh, that's like their name? Mm-hmm. That's their art name? Mm-hmm. Or so their street. Pseudonym? It's a tag. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. What do you think the thing is behind people kind of like drawing these vaginas and penises? I mean, why is that so... Like, like I know like we're... Like, why in general are we obsessed with like phallic? And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's been around forever, hasn't it? Yes. Like, all I can think of is, like, you know, we're kind of born to fuck, right? So... Well, yeah, and I think as a human society, we're bo- born to procreate. Like, that's our mindset. That's why our we're considered most beautiful when we're most fertile, which is when, you know, we're youngest between the ages of whatever, 15 to 40. You know, after you hit that line, no one's... You're, you're considered over the hill. You're considered ugly now. But that's because you can't produce babies anymore. And it's been exacerbated by society. To add on to that point, uh, apparently when a woman is in her menstrual, when a woman is menstruating, and that's the only time she can get pregnant during like the uh, thirty days, or whatever it is. You mean you know, ovulating? ovulating when yeah, when one when a woman's ovulating, like it's only like two or three days within the thirty or forty thirty thirty five days she's uh, having her period. Twenty four days. Twenty four is it? Twenty four days? Yeah, it's twenty four oh, day cycle. Twenty four to twenty eight days. Twenty four to twenty eight. So mm-hmm. when she's ovulating within that range. Her complexion clears up. Her mood gets, you know, brighter. She gets more social, and all these different things. And these things are more attractive. They make her more attractive, so she gets, you know, weighed or more. So there's this really, really interesting study that happened a while ago, and I've been obsessed with it. And this is actually something that I um, experimented with in my like working as a customer service representative. So they did this study between I don't know. They grabbed a bunch of females, and when I describe this study to my female friends, they get really angry, but I think it's an interesting study. So they took a bunch of females at different times of the month, um, and they had them count one, two, three, all the way to 10. And that's it. And then they would play these recordings to men and they'd have the men rate them on a scale of like one, like sexy to like really, really sexy to like not sexy at all. And um, during different times of the month when these women are ovulating, their voice drop, their, our voice box. Larynx. Larynx, thank you, um, gets, gets lower. And so, like, that's more sultry, quote unquote. So the men thought they were more sexier and more attractive during the ovulation period because their voices were lower. That was without knowing, you know, and the men and the people behind the project knew it and they res- put the results on. But then also the complexion and all that. And so I used mm-hmm. to play around when I was a customer service and like men would hit on me and like give me their numbers and do that whole thing that they would do. And I realized it was all around like that time of the month, like my ovulation cycle. And when I realized it, I, I told my friend about it and I was like, wait till next month. And it was, it's really <laughs> 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 and it's just really it was really funny for something to like be self-aware of and to watch it happen. Mm. and um so if you get a whole bunch of guys giving you numbers do you like make a database and then sell this information to marketing firms because that would be genius i don't (laughs) it's something steve could really use i would sell that you can sell it for like five cents a name what am i selling these guys numbers you're just selling their numbers and their names and then you you write down you know you jot down once they leave their approximate age um, you know, they're what, how much money they make, whatever you can, whatever Cause they you get can, all of that information in a five second encounter. You can figure out every <laughs> single aspect of a person's life by having them hit on you pretty quick, or at very least what they want you to think about them. And then you can sell that information and you can become absolutely filthy rich. And that would be a genius entrepreneurial thing to take on there. That's a great project. 
Well, um, I can't say that I'm that ambitious, but I'll let you know. You could make it into an art. <laughs> so the school's called Mecca? Mm-hmm. How pretentious do you have to be to call your school Mecca? So that's what I've been thinking about. Everybody's oh, Mecca and then also Meta. Mm. And I've been wanting to do some kind of piece about Mecca being Meta. Um, but I don't know how to... I haven't figured out the nuts and bolts yet. I mean, Mecca is, has something to do with Islam, so that's kind of an interesting acronym. Isn't Mecca um, in Islam, is it spelled two Cs? Maybe, maybe. But they've also... It's probably also written in, uh, is it Sanskrit? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Arabic. And Arabic, they don't spell things like we, I do. Right now. It's a different language. So. Yeah, they, they don't even put like uh, vowels in with their writing. They don't even use the alphabet. <laughs> they, they have an alphabet, but it, it's a very weird one. Or very, very different one. How dare they write their own language in a different alphabet than ours? This is America. Yeah, we have to have everything our way. America. We need at least vowels. I mean, vowels tell you, like, what to put in there. Now you have to figure in, it out. In English? Yeah. You know, in other languages, probably not. Well, other I mean, languages, your entire, the entire idea of what you're saying can change based on your tone. The manipulation of language, to me, is one of my favorite forms of art because it can take you from... It it can like like any art can, but like words words and language specifically can be used in such a way that it takes you from um, thinking one way and then completely changes your mind to another way, or could do vice versa. And a lot of times you can communicate using language. Uh, Chelsea and I were talking about this before. You like even if you don't speak the same language, you can use your language and still get across points to other people who don't speak that language and you guys can understand each other. And like the the biggest aspect of communication is finding out how to understand each other, not necessarily the words you use. Right. Mm. Yeah. Communication is more about getting an idea across rather than a strict concept or paragraph or monologue. You know, it's, it's about trying to convey and accept each other's differences and uh, communicate through that way yes yeah, you've seen a lot of cartoons right one of a lot of those like old cartoons like mickey mouse and silent stuff it's not silent but you know like uh it's donald yeah donald duck okay like like there's no real audio no real voice acting in it but you can still understand everything that's going on even if you had voice acting you still understand everything that's going on there's different language you can understand you know how much of language is actually necessary it's all this kind of like tone and kind of uh I would say it's all tone, but a lot of it is, to be honest. No, absolutely, on on a basic level, um, and if you're using it appropriately. But we put so much stress on the words that we use that each word you use, you could use a synonym to a certain word and completely change the whole meaning of what you're saying. So in, in that way, the words mean a lot more than the tone does if they're used precisely or they're completely misused i've been thinking a lot about this with english because there's a lot of certain variance between how we say things like i only want you i want you only like it's the same idea getting across right but it the word order makes it a little different it makes a whole different like connotation behind the words mm. and it's a lot of little phrasings and even little subtleties like um you can say one thing one way and being something totally different the other way, like fine or fine, 
fine. I was just talking about this with the kid that I nanny, um, but we used the phrase like, I love you. And it was like, I love you. I love you. Yeah, I love you. And it completely it changes everything that you mean for those words. So, yeah, it's super important. I'm really interested to see how that comes across on the audio recording when we listen to this, because I feel like your facial expressions and your body language play so much into the way you just said it that I might feel differently now by the three phrases you just used of the same words than when we actually re-listen to it and only have audio. That's interesting. That's so that's also a point is communicating what my experience with people who don't speak English. A lot of it is body gesture. It is like using my face and my mouth and my eyes and my 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 body to tell them the story and to explain and come to a conclusion about what we're trying to talk about. What is it about hand gesturing and things like that that really help kind of keep your train of thought moving forward? Or um, to get across a point, even when all you're doing is just um, you do a lot of uh, a lot of strong movements and like straightening out your arm and putting it back. Um, Nate, actually, you do that quite a bit, too. I do a lot more of like rolling my hand in a circle or like opening and closing it type of thing. Um, so is that do you think that's just a, a physical coping mechanism to help you get the words out? Or do you think that that actually helps portray something? to the person that you're speaking with i think with me especially uh i i am a very kind of active person so i'm either totally in something or i'm not and if i to get totally into something i have to get my whole body into it right and for me to just kind of stand here like this I, i'm very you know constrained and it's very difficult to just kind of talk like this i can't kind of talk like this for when i do it like this but if i'm kind of moving around like this you can't see me on the audio of course but my thinking actually goes a lot better you know the way through which i convey myself sounds a lot more natural and in a way it's kind of like a rhythm as well i'm kind of giving the rhythm of my speech when i kind of do these little weird hand gestures i think um some of the most interesting reading i've ever done is on body language itself and what it means the way that you hold yourself and the best example i can give is like i have one roommate and his body language is like chest out like um shoulders back he's there and his presence is known in the room. And when he talks, his voice is loud. And he he takes over the room in a sense, not in like a bad way, but just in like he is there. And that's a part of like just your demeanor. I think it's a part of like how your brain works. And your body and the way that you move it is a way to express like who you are. And so someone who's always using very powerful motion, you know, no. <laughs> Chelsea, you're the most powerful one here. Uh, based off of your body motions. And apparently, only. that's what I want you to think. <laughs> I want you to know that I am very in charge with my body language. This reminded me of a time when I was at the gym, and I was in the sauna, and it was kind of weird because it's kind of standing there, you know, hands on my uh, on my knees, and then this kind of big, kind of bulky guy came in, and you know, he was very hairy, kind of very masculine looking. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to change anything for him. You know, I'm just going to stay this way. And then about five minutes later, I see my hands kind of in the fake weak position, which is, for people who don't know, it's kind of like hands kind of crossed over your crotch. And this is a submissive pose. And like, shit, how did, how, when did I start doing this? Mm -hmm. And so I was reacting to this guy, kind of showing him I wasn't a threat. I'm submissive to him. 
Because he was such a big imposing force in your mind. Mm. Whereas, like, maybe if you talked to him, he could have been, like, really cuddly, like, nice and, like, blah, 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 man. He was probably crying. Yeah, that's why he went into the sauna. So people, <laughs> people wouldn't know he was crying. They were just, nobody sees your tears in the shower. It's a sauna. I know, but you're sweating in a sauna. I was just. Well, you have to shower first to go into the sauna. So it still works. still works. <laughs> you're still wet when you get in there. So this is, this kind of comes to my own kind of theory about kind of art in a way. And perhaps it's a little self-aggrandizing, but it's, it's like, I think, you know, like with the fake weave pose and all these other poses and certain kind of things that we see, I think aren't in a way kind of exploits these or exploits the wrong word, but kind of use these as an advantage. So you, you see someone like saying a strong pose in a heroic pose, looks like Superman, right? And the folks, these feelings in us of man, that, that, that guy's strong. He's, he's incredible. He's crazy. He's awesome. And I think art uses these kind of internal mechanisms, which, which we already have, and kind of just uses it to advantage. Um, that's, yeah, that's so exciting. Um, the best thing that I ever learned while I've been pursuing art is that art um, is essentially a way to manipulate someone's brain um, in ways that they don't know. And so a lot of what I learned was balance and flow. And so when I paint a painting, I'm going to look at it objectively when I'm done. And I want to like, where does my eye go? Okay, what do I want my viewer to see first? And I have to use like certain colors, certain shapes, certain like ways to manipulate the painting so that your eyes go there first, and then they can follow around the rest of the painting. And then I can use colors and I can use um, colors are huge color. The theory of color is amazing. And the way that we can be manipulated and the thing, way that we perceive color and our brain reacts to color I can use that to invoke an emotion in somebody. So art itself can be this amazing expression, but it can also be this tool to communicate an idea to somebody in a way that they've never seen before or a way that they've never thought of before, giving them a different perspective. Right, right. It, that's interesting. Like, do you use that kind of, do you use those tools like consciously? Or are you like thinking about that while you make a piece? Um, I find if I if I want to think about it, like, consciously then it becomes more mechanical to me the whole piece and then part of it loses its heart to me but my favorite is when I can start the painting and then finish it and then like look at it after and realize I created that without even trying Mm, it kind of becomes ingrained in yourself or maybe part of it is you're naturally gifted with this kind of stuff so it's easy for you just to kind of disperceive it reminds me of uh I think it's MC Escher the guy with who had the stair paintings and all those kind of crazy paintings uh, I guess some mathematicians looked at his work and they said, this is crazy mathematical. You have all these mathematical shapes in here and all this blah, blah, blah. And I guess he's kind of like, really? I, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, that's incredible. It's so cool to know what like we're capable of without even understanding it. And just subconsciously, we can convey that. It kind of reminds me, Steve, you do a lot of rap songs and we actually have produced a few songs together. And you're talking about how you produce your lyrics. Your lyrics are very good, I think. And you say you don't even really think about the song or the meaning, really, until, like, after the fact. Um, A lot of times, yeah. Like, if I... It, recently, I've been starting to write to a beat a lot more. I, I started out writing, actually, like, closer to poetry and things like that. That, um, But I always like to write to a rhythm, and a lot of that ends up with rhyme. When you have rhythm, it just... Rhyme kind of comes naturally to me, and then that kind of ended up turning into you know, always being on a beat. And if I'm on a beat, then I can enhance the, what I'm writing by actually having music in the background. 
So uh, that kind of turned into rap. And though I, I probably don't portray the, the stereotypical, you know, rap type of persona, it's just what comes naturally to me for art. It's the only type of art that I can actually pull off in any capacity and will actually end up being proud of. There's, I, I can't draw, I can't paint. I, working with my hands is, is, is an awful task. Um, despite the fact that I was a carpenter for so long. So, but working with my mind, I'm able to, to manipulate things. So to get to your point, a lot of times I'll start out writing something and I'll just be, be going with the flow of whatever's coming out of my head and whatever makes the most sense to artistically hit timing and hit rhymes and things like that. And then I'll see a piece start to form. And once something starts to form, then I can get behind it and say, okay, well, where's this going? I can try to look into the future and then help drive along the way. And then, you know, once it's done, go back, refine. Where did I miss? Where does it not work? What can I do to fix it? And then just keep fixing it and fixing it, um, which is dangerous because you can get into the loop of just never finishing something if you want to keep going back and making it perfect. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So remember that when we're recording Spitfire, towards the end, I was kind of saying, I kind of like the end here because it's like a very interesting kind of little uh, part. I I, I, I don't remember it quite exactly, but it's like, uh, seize the sink king. And you have a lot of S's there, like this over and over again. And it's uh, alliteration, very good alliteration. And when I pointed out that to you, you said, oh, I, I didn't even know that was there. That That's interesting. So, so it's something you're doing kind of unconsciously, but not even kind of like aware of it. No, I, I, that does happen quite often. And that's one of the, the beautiful things about art is sometimes you can create like exactly like Chelsea was saying, sometimes you can create something, but you're so battle blind when you're actually creating that when you finally come out of it, it like it's a trance or something. But sometimes it feels like that when you finally come out and you look at the final piece, you're like, wow, there's all these parts that I didn't even recognize that I was using these tools that I didn't necessarily even know I had. I wasn't actively trying to do that. Well, you used a great word there, which was the flow. Um, and that's something I've read a lot about recently. And um, a lot of people like battle to use your word to get to that, to get to the flow. And um, I think some people it comes more naturally than the others. Just to clarify, this is a different kind of flow than what you're talking before, um, or is this a similar kind of flow? It's a, kind of like a workflow. Like, like, a, like a psychological flow. You're talking about like the flow of the art coming out of you, not like the flow of how a rap flows. No, yeah, sorry, okay. different kind of flow. Um, more like a, a term that like if you're, let's say you're a line cook and you get to a point where everything is so rhythmic and easy to do for you that it's just something else. And it almost comes like a beat and music to you because it just keeps happening and happening and happening. You don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And that's like a kind of like a trance. And I feel like right. when you're writing, Steve, that you you get into that. Yeah. The hardest part I find is when I get into a really good flow and it just starts to get backed up and I can't get it out as fast as it's coming. And I feel like I'm missing little pieces and then it ends up like getting me dejected over time and it just wears me out to try and spit it out uh like write it out fa as fast as i'm as it's coming to me mm -hmm. and then you feel like you're you're not doing it justice by exactly. losing bits like like trying to retell a dream but missing the most important parts of it, of it. exactly dreams are fucked up though so is there any like <laughs> if it's the part of a dream it probably makes sense anyway mm -hmm. 
So speaking of dreams, like, do you believe in this whole thing about follower dreams, like with art? Oh, uh, with say that again. So do you believe in following yeah. your dream. Following your like the metaphorical dream. Yeah, your metaphorical dream. Like oh, okay. Like yeah. Um. Actually, I think we were talking about that earlier with Steve, or I was. Um. If you mean follow your dreams, like there's one big picture thing that you have the idea of, like this is what I want to do with my life, and this is my dream, and. I think that dreams can change over time if you're, in general, um, it, with an aspect of what you want to do with your life. Um, and having a very specific idea is good, but I don't know if it's always great to be so hard, like, hard stuck on that idea to the point that you're missing all the upper, other opportunities to grow. So you probably wouldn't say you follow your dreams, or are you, are you like, more just kind of, like... I would say that I follow intuition and I follow my passions. I don't necessarily, I don't have a big dream of like one day I want to be the co-director of this and so animated film. Um, I don't, that's not something that I have personally, but I think that changes for everybody. I think like some people work really well on having a very specific goal or dream in mind. It's kind of like uh, ends versus means in a way. Mm -hmm. Like. Like, like to segue a little bit. So, a big goal with this is for me, like, I, I don't like this being the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, big idea with this podcast is it's more of a method of doing something, something I like doing. I like the process of it. I have no real end goal with the podcast. And I hope what we're creating is kind of artistic in a lot of different ways. But there being a goal of like achieving x and y and z with it. It, it that's really hard for me to perceive and kind of see and everything but you know I'm, I'm gonna get really really vague now and i think you guys should too because we should talk about dreams not 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 not, not even like concrete just metaphorical dreams you have in your sleep oh that sounds like fun that, that's super abstract yeah. i have some really good things to say about that i think that what i have to say about this is going to absolutely blow your mind i'm going to Pitch this in a way that you've never even thought about it before. Sounds very confident, Steve. Next time. Dreams? We need to talk. So Chelsea, uh, you're quite into art and stuff, and I heard you actually have a website where you show off some of your work. I do. This is actually a new step in becoming an artist and doing these things. So um, you can find me on www.letthebirdflyagain.wix.com. Oh, Wix. That's a great site. We should, They should really promote us. But I've actually been on the site. Like, It's awesome. You have so much awesome work up there. And I, if anybody likes this podcast, has any interest in art at all, you should definitely, at very least, go to the website, check it out. And if you like what you see, how can they, can they get in contact with you? Do you... Yeah, there's a contact section on the website. Um, essentially, this is going to be a blog and a point for me to sell my photography and my artwork that I'll be doing as I'm going through college. Um, so it'll be a commentary on what's happening in my life and what my take on the work that I'm doing because I want every work to be have a purpose and a meaning behind it 
So there'll be a lot of commentary on there. You can have all my contact information on the website. Um, and then you can also follow me on Instagram at Let the Bird Fly. So not only they're getting high quality, up and coming work from an artist who's starting out her career and actually not even starting out at this point, but really progressing it quite far. But they're also supporting you in your higher education goals, as well as, you know, being able to meet your basic needs as a human being. Exactly. Helping you guys can personally help me get through college. That's absolutely amazing. And you know what? If you were ever going to support anybody, fuck your child. Like you should just take a look at Chelsea's stuff because it's actually really good. Thank you. So if you're driving and you didn't quite catch that and you want to check it out, it'll be right in the description. Just click on it and it'll go right to the site. Right to the site. There's nothing better than being able to click on something that takes you right where you wanted to be and then you can spend money. <laughs> and then you can let me know that you heard about me through these guys on We Need to Talk. Wow, that was awesome. You promoted us back. Yeah, I did. <laughs>